Amen. Well, I wonder if you uh, like hearing good news. I wonder if you like hearing good news. Do you know the story of the father who came home from a very hard day's work? And his 18-year-old son uh, said to him, Dad, I've got some bad news. And his father, who had a terrible day at work, said, Son, I just can't bear to hear any bad news. I've had such a bad day. Please tell me some good news. Well, the boy went away. Half an hour later, he came back. Dad, I've got some bad news to tell you. Son, I've had such a bad day at work. I just want to hear good news. So the son went away. He came back half an hour later. He tried again, but the father was insistent. He just wanted good news. So a little bit later, the uh, son came back. Dad, I've got some good news. Son, what's that? You don't want at school? Doing well? Got into the sports team? No, Dad, the good news is that the airbag on the Volvo works. (laughs) Well, I wonder if you like hearing good news. Because verse 32 tells us, page 1108 in this sermon that we're going to be looking at from the Acts of the Apostles, that uh, the Apostle Paul says, we tell you the good news. We tell you the good news. Christianity is good news. It's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? It's easy easy for us to turn Christianity into rules, into ritual, into religious duties. But we're going to hear this evening what this good news is all about. It's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to just pose some questions to begin with. Does the content of this good news matter? Can we believe anything that we like and still call ourselves Christians? What is the gospel message that we proclaim? What response should we expect as we proclaim the good news about Jesus. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not sure what you believe. What's the message that God wants you to hear this evening? Uh, Maybe you've not thought about that, that actually God wants to communicate to you this evening. What response does God require of you? Well, this evening I I start the first of a, a short series looking at the preaching of Paul in Acts. And as I'm sure many of you know, a person called Luke wrote this book, The Acts of the Apostles, and it's the story of the early church making known the good news about Jesus Christ. And so as you read The Acts of the Apostles, as you know, you see the gospel spreading out, rather like uh, dropping a pebble into a pond, and uh, the ripples go out, and uh, that is what happens as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem Uh, to the ends of the earth. And the book actually finishes in Rome. Tonight we're looking at Acts 13 and uh, Paul is on his first missionary journey. He's come from Cyprus back to the mainland and you'll see he goes to uh, the synagogue, verse 14, back over the page, 1107. On the Sabbath day, this is in Pisidian Antioch, he entered, they entered, Paul and his companions, the synagogue and sat down and he is invited to preach, to bring a message for the people. Uh, Verse 16 tells us that he says this, Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles, 
who worship God listen to me. So he's preaching mainly to Jews, but there are some God-fearing non-Jews, Gentiles there in this audience. Now clearly Luke has not recorded everything that Paul said. Like actually with Peter's sermons earlier in uh, Acts, he selected the essential points of Paul's teaching. So what does the Apostle Paul say about this good news about Jesus? Well, the first thing I want us to see from what he says is that this good news about Jesus is promised through the Old Testament. It's prepared for and promised through the Old Testament. You see, his sermon deals with the theme of God's salvation, the promise of salvation, through Jesus Christ. So, again, just flick over the page, verse 23, to see this, how promise keeps on coming up. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he promised. Or glance down to verse 32 again. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. And you see, the Apostle Paul is at pains to say that what he's proclaiming has been promised and prepared for through the Old Testament. So God's Saviour and King, who's come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's been promised way back, right through the Old Testament. Now just see what he says. And uh, we can't look at everything. There's a tremendous amount to study. But look what he says. Verse 17, as he stands up. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers... He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So he goes right back to the start of Uh, nearly to the start of the, the, the history of the people of Israel, and he said God chose them, they were his people, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and uh, do you notice that God, it's all about what God has done. It's all about what God has done. Verse 18, he, God, endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. You see, what kind of God is revealed here in this history of Israel as Paul begins to preach. He's the God of grace, just as Paul reminded us at the start of this service. They don't deserve anything from him, but he chose them. He rescued them. He was patient with them. He forgave them. Time and time again, in spite of their disobedience. And he he lavishes his love and mercy and grace on these people. And then God raised up judges to rule them. Verse uh, 20. After this God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, uh, the prophet. And then the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. 
He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So, you know, it's like a Bible overview. If you know, maybe you do a Bible overview here at Christchurch Forward. He's giving them and saying, look, this has been prepared for and promised right through the Old Testament. Keeping promises is so important, isn't it? Keeping promises is so important. Uh, I was going to get together a whole load of promises that our politicians have made, but I thought that may be unwise because you may get upset with me and think that I'm not a Labour supporter. I could have found quite a lot from the last Conservative government. But listen to this. October 1940, uh, uh, the American President Franklin Roosevelt promised... I've said this before, but I shall say it again and again. Your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. Loads and loads of promises that politicians have made. And of course, many of us don't trust politicians and the promises they make, really. And of course, we're deeply hurt, aren't we, when people fail to keep important promises, especially if we're personally involved with them. That's why marriage breakup is so painful, isn't it? But God keeps his promises. And that's vital for his audience in that synagogue to hear and to be shown. And let me say it's vital for us today if we're going to trust Jesus. How do we know he'll keep his promises? We're going to hear two, two things that he promises in a while. But how do we know that he'll keep his promises? Well, there's, there's history. God has prepared for and promised the coming of the Lord Jesus. And see where Paul's sermon is leading. Verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he promised. Now, perhaps some Jews were there thinking, but what is Jesus doing uh, in this record of God's dealings with his Jewish people? But you see, God had made a great promise to King David that one of his descendants would bring in a kingdom that would last forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7. That one of David's descendants would bring in a kingdom that would last forever. That God would send a special king who would come and bring in the kingdom that would last forever. And Paul shows that the prophets point to him. So, verses 24 and 25... He goes straight to the last great prophet, John the Baptist. And uh, he says, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance, verse 24, and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not that one. No, but one is coming after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, for that Jewish audience to hear that, Uh, it was a very high regard for John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, look, you know, I'm not the Messiah, but one is coming, who is? And he pointed to Jesus. So let me say that this good news about God's Saviour and King, about Jesus, is not something that comes out of the blue. He was promised in the Old Testament. He was prepared for through the Old Testament. And you see, Paul is saying all this stuff about Jesus, it's not made up. It's not just me saying this. No, your scriptures bear witness to this good news. 
And then see, secondly, that this good news about Jesus is focused on his death and resurrection. Verses 26 to 37, uh, Paul focuses on two events. And they're the heart of Christianity. It's interesting, there's no mention here of Jesus' life or teaching or miracles, important as they are, but the focus is on Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 26, just look at it with me, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they had no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Isn't that marvellous? But God raised him from the dead. And the point that Paul wants to make is that the death and resurrection fulfilled God's plan of salvation. Uh, you know, perhaps Paul is there and he's anticipating again Jewish questions. Why did the Jewish leaders uh, reject him if he was the Messiah? Why was he put to death by, both by Jews and Romans? And when they killed him, did that thwart God's promises being worked out? And the point is that the death of Jesus and his resurrection fulfilled God's plan of salvation. Now it's interesting that as he goes on, if you look at verse 27, he then draws in and says, you know, the prophets, it's fulfilling the words of the prophets. He goes back and says, look, I want you to see this. And he doesn't actually record here, Luke doesn't uh, record what particular words of the prophets that Paul might have uh, referred to. It could be a number of things, but of course Isaiah 53 spoke of a suffering servant who would come and bear the sin of many, who would bear the sin of many as he died, despised and rejected by by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings, He was led like a lamb to be slaughtered. And so Paul says, look, it's there in the prophets. The Christ had to suffer and die. And uh, he says, if you see at the end of verse 31, I'll read from verse 30, but God raised him from the dead and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. Jesus' death was promised prophesied and his resurrection as well. And uh, he gives three quotations from the Old Testament. You'll see them in the bottom left there from verse 32 onwards. Three quotations from the Old Testament about the fact that the Lord Jesus would be raised. We're just going to look at one, but do spend some time looking at it uh, this week. Verse 35, so it's stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, what's interesting about that is that that is, uh, Paul uses the same verse there from the Old Testament that Peter does in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And actually, I think that Luke wants us to see that Paul preached the same gospel as Peter. Uh, It's a quote from Psalm 16, written by King David. David promised that God's Holy One would not see decay, yet David died. 
And he remains dead. See what he says in verse 36. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. God was raised. uh, Jesus was raised by God the Father. Friends, that is marvellous news, isn't it? The greatest news ever to come from a graveyard, as somebody said once said, that Jesus is raised and has conquered death. I don't know if you know the name uh, Charles Coulson, who went to prison for his involvement in the Watergate scandal at the time of uh, President Richard Nixon. Uh, Charles Coulson uh, wrote about going to the funeral of Richard Nixon and uh, he said that at the funeral, I think there were three former presidents of the United States there and the current uh, President of the United States uh, was at this funeral, this was a few years ago. And he said there were lo- all the most powerful people in America were there. And he said that uh, he noticed that they were all transfixed, transfixed by the coffin. And he said this, they were confronted by the one thing they had no power or control over their own mortality. But you see, Jesus was raised to life. He's conquered death. And that is in fulfilment of the Old Testament scriptures. And that is what Paul wants his uh, synagogue audience and God-fearing non-Jews to hear. And you see, through him, God would bring in the kingdom that would last forever. Let me just begin to apply this to all of us. Do you see the content of the good news? It is about Jesus as the Saviour and King that God has sent and is vindicated by his resurrection after his death. And Luke wants us to see that what Paul preached to Jews and some Gentiles is very similar to what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. So both sermons stress that Jesus was killed, God raised Jesus, and witnesses saw him. Do you see that emphasis as we've been through? That witnesses saw him. The end of uh, verse 31. They are now his witnesses to our people. And friends, this is the apostolic gospel. The gospel about Jesus Christ, witnessed and proclaimed by the apostles. And Paul is preaching the same gospel as Peter did at Pentecost. And let me say, so must we. So the gospel is not what we want to make it. The gospel is not my faith story. You see, Paul had a fantastic faith story. He had a fantastic conversion. That's not the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus as God's saviour and king, promised and prepared for through the Old Testament, coming to die and to be raised to life. And through that Jesus, through Jesus we're promised two great gifts. Just look at this. Thirdly, the good news promises two gifts through Jesus. The good news promises two gifts through Jesus. Look at verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So, two gifts that are promised through Jesus. And Paul's audience would have thought that the way that you get right with God, that you're accepted by God, is through keeping the law of Moses. But Paul states that right standing with God cannot come that way. It cannot come that way. And that is our great temptation even today, isn't it? To say, I can get right with God by what I do. But salvation through Jesus is by grace. We do not deserve it. It's a free gift. And in fact, here identified two free gifts, grace gifts. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul assumes that they know that they're sinners because a Jewish audience would have known that, that they were sinners before the Holy God. And today we have to be convinced of that. It may be there's somebody here who's thinking through the Christian faith. That is something that you will have to grapple with, that you are a sinner before the Holy God. And you see, sin at its heart is about how we treat God. That God made the world, he sustains the world, he rules this world and he rules us, but we turn away from God and we we live the life that we want. And sin at its heart is rebellion against God. And there may be some here who say, well, I'm not too bad a person. I'm not as bad as that person or that person. Let me give you an illustration Think of a ship, we could do it with a country, but think of a ship, it has a captain and a crew. And the crew rebel against the captain. They have a mutiny and they start sailing it as they want, the ship as they want. And they become enemies of the captain. And the captain is thrown overboard. Indeed, they've got rid of anything that might remind them that there was once a captain, which of course is what you do in a mutiny. You won't find any mention of him on board the ship. And the captain's right to run and rule that ship is overthrown. Now just imagine a few weeks later you you encounter this ship. It's a well-run ship. The mutineers can even be doing good to their fellow mutineers. Fellow mutineers can be helping fellow mutineers. But that does not change the fact that it's not their ship to run in the way that they want. They've overthrown the captain. You see, you may be a jolly nice person, but it doesn't change the fact that you are a sinful rebel against the Creator God. And you break his laws. And you're in need of forgiveness. And Jesus dies so that you and I can receive the forgiveness of sins. You see, it's interesting here, Paul tells us the consequence of Jesus' death. He doesn't tell us why Jesus' death how it brings about this forgiveness. That you'll find about in his letters. But he does tell us that the gift that comes from Jesus' death is the forgiveness of sins. See, the promise of God that Paul preached here is that through Jesus' death, sinners like you and me can be forgiven. Do you know the uh, story of the Rolls-Royce owner who was driving in France. It's a daft thing to say because he probably won't. But uh, he broke down and he needed some costly repairs. And so Rolls-Royce flew an engineer out to repair the car. And the man was able to continue his holiday 
And when he got back, he was expecting a large bill. But nothing came. And eventually he contacted Rolls-Royce and he said he was waiting to hear. And the next day he received a letter and it said, Dear Sir, we thank you for your inquiry. We've searched our records thoroughly, but we can find no record of a Rolls-Royce breaking down in France. Yours faithfully. And the promise of God is that because of Jesus' death, through Jesus, that our sin can be forgiven and forgotten forever. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? And the second gift you'll see there is there in justification. Uh, Verse 39, through him everyone who believes is justified from everything they could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Justified, in other words, declared righteous by God. Declared right with God. Declared not guilty. You see, because of Jesus' death, you and I can be declared right with God. So instead of being condemned because we've broken God's law, we can be be declared justified, not guilty. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful gift. Now, let me say this. Maybe you have been a Christian for many years and you know the experience of falling into sin again. Who doesn't? We all do. You see, through Jesus' death, every, 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 every sin is forgiven. And you cannot be brought again under God's condemnation. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're justified. That's the message that Paul proclaimed, the great gift. You're declared right. You're declared righteous. You receive, actually, the righteousness of Christ. But we haven't got time to go into that. And So can I say this evening... um, We must rejoice in this grace and mercy and love this evening. Two grace gifts to be enjoyed. Two grace gifts to be proclaimed through Jesus. So let me apply this just a bit more. We've seen the content of the apostolic gospel. And let me say again, it may seem an obvious thing to say, it is a message that must be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. Verse 32, we tell you the good news. Verse 28, forgiveness. Uh, Verse 38 uh, talks about the forgiveness of sins. is proclaimed to you. Nobody was or is ever converted by a silent witness. Yet our lives matter. And we can muck up our witness, can't we? By not living in a right way. But the gospel is a message that must be spoken. And we mustn't mustn't, uh, be thwarted from doing that. Because there will be so many people who will say, you must not proclaim. Praise God for this church, which has always done that. But we must keep proclaiming the gospel in every way we can. One to one, at work, through Christianity Explored, on Sundays, whenever we can. And this gospel message calls for response, doesn't it? Paul is clear that it matters if you turn to, that you turn to Jesus and trust him. It is a matter of eternal life and eternal death of heaven and hell. The gospel calls for response, and let me say we'll provoke a response. You see, fourthly, the good news about Jesus results in different responses. 
Look at verse 41. Different responses. The good news results in different responses. Verse 41. I'll read from verse 40. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never, that you would never believe, even if someone told you. So he, co- he quotes from Habakkuk, again from one of their prophets, and he says, don't fail to recognise God at work, just like your forefathers did. They ignored him and he judged them. God judged them and they perished. And it matters how each one of us responds to this good news about Jesus. It mattered then in that synagogue at Pisidian Antioch and it matters this evening. It matters this evening. And you see Paul says to his audience that they can't remain neutral. And at first there's an encouraging response. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next, on the next Sabbath. So there's interest, they want to find out more. Can I say to people here this evening who are exploring the Christian faith, and perhaps you're seeking, you don't know what you believe, uh, or whatever. Maybe you know people who are in that position. The people invited them to speak further. Can I encourage you to keep seeking the truth about Jesus? Please don't harden your heart and turn away from hearing about Jesus. Keep moving forward, wanting to find out more and pray. We need to encourage that with people we know as well. Not to harden hearts. And to encourage people to say, Lord, show me the truth about Jesus. Help me to respond. Don't be like the other response described here. Verse 45 tells us that uh, the Jewish leaders are jealous Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. So people begin to harden their hearts against the gospel and to uh, obstruct the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas speak boldly. Look at what they said. We had to speak the word of God to you. Uh, First, verse 46, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. We now turn to the Gentiles. It's a massive turning point in uh, the book of Acts. They reject Jesus and uh, the gospel begins to go out more fully to uh, the Gentiles. So can I say there are two responses Two responses here. We need to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. We need to be bold in calling people to respond to that gospel. And how do you, let me ask, respond to Jesus tonight? You see, we live, don't we, in an age which scoffs at the idea of God's judgment. Is there somebody here tonight who scoffs at the idea of God's judgment? But you see, this sermon reminds us wonderfully, doesn't it, that that God keeps his promises. The promises of what he offers through Jesus, forgiveness of sin and justification, being right with God. But equally well, the God who keeps his promises through Jesus will also carry through his warnings about judgment. So can I say, can I plead with you not to reject Jesus as Saviour and Lord and therefore perish. Uh, Some here will know the poet Robert Browning. 
And when he married Elizabeth Barrett, uh, her parents so strongly disapproved of Browning that they disowned her. And almost weekly, Elizabeth Barrett uh, Browning wrote letters expressing her love to her mother and father and she asked for reconciliation. And they never once replied. And after ten years of writing, uh, Elizabeth